In this episode, Dominic Monkhouse teaches us how not fighting and getting along could end up actually costing you your business. Are you an entrepreneur who's looking for motivation, strategy, and tactical guidance on taking your business to the next level? Do you like surrounding yourself with action takers who know what it takes to win? If so, you're in the right place. My name is Josh Thomas, and I'm your host. Join me as I speak with some of the greatest business minds on the planet. Welcome to the Do Zone. Take risks. Failure is a stepping stone to success. Ariana Huffington. DC Tribe, Josh Thomas, super glad to have you here. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the Do Zone podcast on Apple and or Spotify. Just want to let you know this podcast is brought to you by Unbreakable Teams. We help entrepreneurs build the systems they need to crush their goals, the teams they need to execute those systems, and the accountability they need to make sure it all gets done. If you're ready to take your business to the next level and you know you can't do it alone, go to unbreakableteams.com now. Once again, that's unbreakableteams.com. Today's guest is Dominic Monkhouse. As an MD, Dom scaled two UK technology companies from zero revenue to 30 million pounds in five years. Dominic learned the execution systems that worked, made many mistakes, and discovered innovative strategies that disrupted competitors. After leaving a trail of growth and winning several awards for creating great places to work, Dominic found his true calling, coaching other business leaders to help them have as much impact on their teams and organizations as he did. Dominic, welcome to the Do Zone. Say what's up to the tribe and tell us something you believe is the key to getting stuff done that most people wouldn't think of. Josh, it's great to be here. And I would say that I find most people don't think purpose is the key to getting stuff done. But I find that if you have, like, times are going to be tough, aren't they? There are days when you can't really be bothered. There are things you've got to dig deep to do. And if you have no reason to do it, you just won't. You'll give up. You'll do something else. You'll do the easy thing instead of the hard thing. If you have no reason to do it. You just won't. I love this. Tell, tell me more, though, because I, I like how you're, you're right. I don't think most people are thinking about purpose being a reason to get stuff done. But what is your purpose for getting out of bed? If you don't have one, you're going to stay in bed. Tell, exactly. tell me more well, about so, that. Why do you have well, this? So look, I, I have a purpose, which is to demystify business growth. And so that's what I why I do what I do. And. I, some clients pay me to help them, but many clients just take the information or the stuff that I create, content, the books, the podcast, and they consume it and it helps them build better businesses, which is what I love to do. But just as a real life client example, I've got a CEO who I'm coaching the CEO and the COO in a client. And the CEO is looking to step up and replace the CEO at some point in the future. And I asked him if there was a bit of the CEO's job that he didn't like, he didn't think he would want to do. And he was very specific about part of that, that he didn't want to do. Um, and I said, well, what's your purpose? What's your vision for this organization? And he said, I haven't got one. And I said, well, you don't want, you don't want the job then because it's going to be really tough. And actually this thing that you don't like about the CEO role is not going to go away. 
and so you'll it'll just drive you mad if you haven't got if you can't drive through the tough days because you've got this really clear guiding light north star purpose to give yourself sucker when the times are shit then you'll just go and find someone else to do yep that's that's right you know it's uh how many other things can we apply this to if if you don't have a purpose for uh, being in shape you're not going to go to the gym uh, well, or you're not going to eat right i and i think i think there's a often when i'm working with clients and with it like towards is better than away in terms of motivation hmm. so if i want to lose weight i'll try to lose some weight i'll go on a diet and my weight will start to fall and as i get away from where i was and towards my target date target weight my motivation declines Whereas if you say, I have this vision, I've got two young daughters who are eight and six. And a friend of mine said to me recently, he said, how come you're obsessed with like longevity? I said, look, I've got a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. I don't want them to, how, how can I spend as much time as possible with them and maybe with their children as I can? And so what do I need to do to still be around fit and healthy when I'm 90 or 95 or 100? And so that's, there's a purpose there around looking after your health, looking after my health now, which is different from saying, I wish I was 10 pounds lighter. Right. You know, it's uh, that I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I was talking with somebody about this. Uh, I was talking with a lady who said, you know, I, uh, I go to the gym because I want to be a mobile old lady. And yep. that's, that's her purpose. She gets up every day and she works out and exercises and stays in good shape because she's making that investment for her future self. And that's her purpose. Exactly. And, you know, if you didn't brush your teeth today or tomorrow or the day after, or the, you don't notice straight away, but eventually uh, your teeth fall out. Actually on that mobility thing, there's a, there's a, a uh, UK doctor, um, Mike Mosley, famous for his the five two diet, and he he's got this great thing where he talks about habit stacking. So he said, what you should do is you should stand on one leg whilst brushing your teeth in the morning, brush your teeth for two minutes, and then stand on your right leg in the afternoon, evening when you brush your teeth, two minutes, because then you're investing. It takes no time; it just takes a tiny bit of effort, but you've got that investment in your balance. Because so many people, old people, fall downstairs. So you're hmm. investing in that ninety-year-old, ninety-eight, ninety-year-old mobility. Yeah, that's right. And so, uh, you know, you've you've been in a lot of different situations, and obviously, you've developed this perspective here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the different experiences that you've had. I, I know that you uh, you force yourself to swallow several glasses of red wine on medical grounds. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about that. And, uh, it sounds like you've, you've done some, some kind of health hacks and you're focused on longevity. I'm curious to hear more about that. Well, I, I, uh, I don't know. I just, there was, there's a, there's a point where I realized I was surrounded by people who are my age. You kept referring to themselves as old. Mm. I think the first thing is never to refer you to yourself as old. Mm. Um, and, and then, as I said, I, I've got young kids and i just think how how can i what can i invest one of i interviewed uh 
I interviewed Joel Weldon, who's a speech coach, Vern Harnish's speech coach on the podcast. And he's in his still, he's still in his, in his 80s working. And he's also semi-pro water skier. And he said he gets up every morning and practices on his own lake. Mm. And uh, he, he recommended that I read a book called Younger, Younger Next Year. And so two doctors basically look at the, um, the science of aging. And they say, look, here's the bad news. You probably have to do 45 minutes. After 35, the tide's going out. And you probably have to do 35 or 45 minutes of cardiac exercise seven days a week mm -hmm. to prevent the tide from going out. And then they said, but, but no, nobody's going to do seven. So we suggest you do six. Mm. And, and then, and so then I got interested in it. And there's a U US doctor called Peter Atia who's got a podcast called Drive. And I listened to that. And he's got a thing that he set himself called the Centenarian Olympics. So he says, if I'm 100 and I want to be playing with my great grandchildren, I probably need to be able to do a goblet squat. 30 pound goblet squat because a small child running at me will require me to squat down and catch a small child and stand back up again at a hundred. And then he says, your muscle wastes 10% a decade. So therefore I can work back to my age and I can say, well, what do I need to goblet squat today? So at a hundred with 10% every decade. And I just like the idea of yes. setting those goals, right? Having a purpose, then setting some goals and then working back from that. Where do I want to be? When, where am I now? <clears throat> And then so in life and in business, it's very similar. It's, it's a, what's our future state? Describe it, get emotional about it, then work back in manageable chunks to today and then say, okay, well, every week, month, day, quarter, year, here's where I want to be mm. because, because I've got this goal. Yeah, I love breaking it down into a system uh, because if, if we are setting a goal, one of the most important parts of a goal, aside from it, you know, whatever, uh, whatever methodology you want to follow. I like, I like the smart goals because it's nice, nice and simple and everybody can understand it, um, you know, properly define a goal. But once you've defined that goal, I want to be able to do this in this time frame. Now, how do we break it down into these kind of measurable chunks and targets that we're trying to hit over time? And, and that's where I think a lot of people get lost. You know, uh, we see the big picture of I want to be 100 years old and be able to catch my great, great grandchild as, as he or she is running at me. We see that. But what do we have to do now in order for that to be real? What do we have to do this year? What do we have to accomplish this year in order for that to be feasible or even possible? Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of times we don't really break it down to that level, but if we do, we realize that hitting big goals is just a series of hitting smaller goals over and over and over. I, little steps. And often these things aren't I like brushing your teeth. They're not complicated, but you have to make them habitual. Um, otherwise, you won't do them. Yeah. And, and you've got to make them habitual and easy. And so, you know, even in business, you know, if, if you want to go to the gym, you know, it's definitely if you put your training gear out the night before that increases the likelihood that you'll go to the gym in the morning. If you even don't set yourself the goal of going to the gym, but driving past the gym yeah. that reduces the likelihood that you will not do it. Cause how could you feel? 
how could you feel like you couldn't drive past the gym? But if you drive past the gym, you are likely to at that point to stop and get out and train if you've got the gear in the boot. So how do you make this so that once you've set those goals, it's easy. And so often I, I work with uh, CEOs and leadership teams and they've just set themselves up to make things difficult and not easy. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. You know, uh, sometimes we, we self-sabotage, <laughs> you know, we, we want to win, but then we put all of these obstacles in the way that keep us from winning. Uh, yes. And so what are, what are some of the ways that you found, uh, first of all, what are those obstacles? Let's identify them. And then secondly, in your experience, how have you helped remove those obstacles for CEOs? What are a couple of tricks or strategies or hacks or, or something that, Somebody that's listening to this right now could immediately apply. So first of all, what are those obstacles and how do we get rid of them? Well, aside from hard work, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, as human beings, genetically, we've got to the point or evolutionarily, we've got to the point where we can hold two counterintuitive things in our mind at the same time. So we can both be holding a cigarette and smoking it and know that that's killing us. Right. Mm. So, so it is completely possible for people to be self-sabotaging and also to be aware of the fact that they are self-sabotaging. So I quite often work with leadership teams and I say, they say to me, it'd be great if we were aligned. And I say, okay. So they are aware that aligning up and no company ever outperformed its leadership team. And so we say, okay, what would make this great? What would, and then you say, what, tell me about a great team that you've been on sports team. Don't care what it is. Tell me about a great team. People can tell you about, great teams they've been on or i say to people put your hand up if you've ever wasted your time in a meeting 100 percent people put their hands up okay let's do a quick session on what makes a great meeting there is no disagreement in the room about you know we can get a 10 point plan on running an amazing meeting are all your meetings like that no none of them okay so everybody <laughs> in the room has perfect knowledge about what a crap meeting is and yet you sit through them all the time and so what you get to is that it's not the knowledge. There's an interpersonal skills thing. So you might have um, you might have two people in the leadership team in an organization who both believe something diametrically different. So they're sort of they're polar opposites, and most of the time those polar opposites don't come to the surface and get discussed or agreed. So we have this fake harmony. But what it means is that they're both rowing in opposite directions all the time. So they're both sort of agreeing at the context level. So at that high level, we want to get fit. Yes. Okay. We both agree we want to get fit, but somebody's, somebody thinks the best way to get fit is to run. And the other one thinks the best way to get fit is to do weights. So they're both agreeing and yet they're doing, they're, they're both doing something, but they're doing it differently. Um, and so that just is very inefficient. And what they haven't got is, they haven't, uh, as Jeff Bezos would say, disagree and commit. They haven't had a heated debate about this. We haven't brought some facts to the table and we haven't argued it to something that we can both agree on. And I find that that is probably the thing that stops most people. Because, you know, if you've got nothing nice to say, say nothing your mother might have said to you, you <laughs> yeah. know, or... Or, or you, you know, you spent all that time at school being having disagreement and bad attitude beaten out of you. So by the time we turn up at work, we think the thing to do is to just sort of not have a fight about it. And actually, we need to be 
really, if you look at the top performing teams, they are not all on each other's Christmas card list. They're not all drinking buddies. Yeah. You know, I have to re- I have to respect your skill and expertise at a thing, but I might not really love you. If I if I like you, it's even better. But what we need to be able to do is we need to be able to criticize and uh, constructively criticize the task. We need to be able to do sort of retrospectives and reviews and learn from our mistakes and admit mistakes. So there's a whole sort of psychological safety that needs to be in place so that we can have real disagreement. And then from there, come up with the one thing that we're going to do and move forward. Real disagreement. You know, yes. you as you were saying that, you know, your mom, your mom taught you to, uh, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. My mom also taught me to not ask strangers for money, you know, <laughs> and uh, and that really messed me up, you know. Thanks, mom. It <laughs> really, it really stalled out my entrepreneur career for a couple of decades. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, you know what it what it really comes down to is uh, we are trained from a very young age to be compliant. And to fit into a system, uh, you know, I I have been to the UK. I've not been in school in the UK, but I would imagine there's a lot of similarities. You put the desks in rows. Sometimes you sit alphabetically. Mm. Uh, you're called on. There's a an authoritative figure in the front that's directing and commanding, and there are rules for conduct. There are rules for not disrupting the class. And this goes on for 10, 12, 20 years uh, for almost every human being. And so we're trained and indoctrinated to be compliant, not to cause waves, not to disagree, but just to do your work. Memorize these facts. These are the facts you need to know. You don't need those facts. You need these facts. (laughs) And so we're all we're all doomed if we're expected to come in and suddenly exercise this muscle that has been atrophied your entire life. That's what I hear you saying. Yeah. Well, and also, uh, you know, um, don't snitch on people. (laughs) Right. So, uh, you know, you quickly, you quickly learn that as a social norm. And so the number of, um, management meetings and say there's, uh, you know, management team, they've got an hour long weekly management meeting. Often what happens is everybody turns up with a series of slides. And the idea is that it's supposed to present some stuff and have some Q and A, but there's an unwritten rule that you don't ask anybody else on the team a question. Um, you don't piss on their chips. And uh, so people present for 18 minutes of a 20 minute segment. Nobody has any questions. It's the next guy. In fact, they deliberately ask pointless questions questions of a colleague to run down the clock so that everybody can get up before the ceo gives them a hard time right and it's just it's just incredible i mean i'm not describing high performing teams i'm just describing a lot of a lot of a lot of teams out there going through the motions yeah there's a yeah there's a difference between no alignment no no uh no no drive just going through the motions and, and, uh, Hey, I'm, I'm just doing the thing that I'm required to do. I'm sitting in my row 
my last name starts with a T, so I'm close to the back, you know, and yeah, yeah. and I'm just doing my thing. And it's uh, there's handing a, in my homework, getting a B. Yeah, it's close enough. It's passing. You know, if yeah. it were any lower, mom would be mad. Um, yeah. But, you know, uh, so it, about that participation, uh, where do you think it comes from? I have my opinion, but so somebody's going through their presentation and they go to the next person and they do their presentation. Where does that come from and who can change it? Like where where does that kind of going through the motions, why is that allowed? And, well, and I, even though we know it's not productive. Well, you see, I think the thing is you've always got to think what's the average and are we talking about the average or are we talking about the extreme? And McKinsey did a piece of, did a research mm-hmm published a research report recently, which was the drug development teams, global pharma companies. 85% of the teams thought they were above average. Yeah. Right. So yeah. the thing is, those people who are going through the going through the motions believe they are above average. Those people have never been in a high performing team. Hmm. Um, the top 1% were 10x better than average. And the next sort of two to 5% were five times better than average. So those teams at the top 5% know they are world beating. Mm. And the rest of them don't even know their crap. (laughs) And so, and so that's, that's the problem. And so often people talk about average or moving the average. And actually, you know, if you're a, if you're a, a top, you know, 10% A player, top 10% of available talent, given job, given salary, given location. You want to play with other A players. You don't want to play with B players and C players. That's right. And so you go out and you make yourself available to hire for high performing teams. And so if you're listening to this and you look around and you think to yourself, I don't think my colleagues, I don't think I'm in a high performing team, then you're not. (laughs) And you should get out and you should go and join a high performing team where like a world-class athlete doesn't play in the beer leagues, right? You know, if you're driven to be a world-class athlete, you know, you want to, or sort of, or just whatever athlete, you know, like whatever division you're in, you know, uh, you're, you know what your benchmark is, you know, you're racing, you're competing, you're training. And so many just mediocre people have got a job, not curious, not learning anything new, handing in their homework, getting paid. I, I had it I had it said to me in a way that I had never really thought of before. And recently, I was at an event uh, in San Antonio. My friend, uh, my friend Kai hosted a uh, a wholesale real estate wholesaling event. So I went down to support, him. and and there I was a guy in San Antonio. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You got that you got that strong Texan accent, you know. <laughs> Pearl Brewery, San Antonio. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. It was at the Pearl. That's yeah, exactly nice where it place. was. So, so we were at the Pearl and uh, Justin Nelson uh, uh, is on the stage and he's a real estate agent and investor. And, and he also has a company that uh, helps people find VAs. And he said something about whenever somebody tells me, uh, you know, I don't want to do too much. Uh, I'm just trying to get by. Or uh, I don't think I need all of that because I'm fine with where I'm at or I'm going to grow at my own pace. He says, that's a personal development problem. It's nothing else. It's just a personal development problem. And 
I'm not a personal development coach, so I can't help you with that. What I can help you with is once you solve your personal development problems and you're ready to grow your team, I can help you grow your team. And <laughs> and and it was just like, boom, like right in the nose, man. I'm like nobody ever said that before. And I never had an answer because I talk to people all the time. And they're like, oh, you know, I'm, I just want to, you know, have my little work and build my little business or whatever. But do you really want that? And like, I didn't, I was stumped. I'm like, I don't know how to change that. If you're not motivated, you're not motivated. It's a personal development problem. I can get behind that, man. That makes a lot of sense. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I, I look, I was just thinking I've got on my list of things I'd like to do, learn Spanish. It's never going to happen. I just know it's never going to happen. Right. <laughs> there has to be that. It has to get way higher up the list. Like, yeah. you know, there has to be some compelling reason. And so, you know, I think you're right. These people, I don't know that they're happy though. When they say they're happy, yeah. I don't know that they're happy. But there are times when I do think to myself, wouldn't life be easier if I was like them? I mean, I could just stay in bed or I could just watch TV or I could just plod along without being feeling a sense of drive and motivation and compunction to do something, to be busy and to be constantly looking for opportunities to improve. So it's just different folks for different strokes, I think. Like, you know, I, I, but you can't help people. You know, it's like you can't, uh, you know, if you've, you know, if people are depressed or addicted or there's nothing you can do, it, it's down to them, really. When you said people say they're happy, but they're not really happy, it just falls right back in line to what we were talking about earlier. People have to, you're supposed to say you're happy. You're supposed to be happy. Why aren't you happy? Uh, I'm happy. And you just say it so that people leave you alone. That was the good <laughs> <the> take. <laughs> I, I, well, I just, I just think it's, uh, if you said to them, what's your purpose? They just say, I haven't got one. And so it goes right back to the beginning of the conversation, which is yeah. I, this, uh, there's a tool that, that I use sometimes, which is a one-page personal strategic plan. And um, the way you do it is you say to people, okay, I'd like you to bullet point, bullet form, write the eulogy for your own funeral. And so people do that. Most people I've done this with have never done this before. I've done this with sort of hundreds of people and they've, it's never occurred to them to draft their own eulogy. Um, and then I say, okay, well, what about 10 years after you're dead? Do you want anyone to know that you were on the planet? Will any of the people that you wrote about when you were right, thinking about your eulogy, will, will you, will, is there any legacy you'd like to leave? Some people say, no, fine, don't care. But they do care about the people that they're with until the point that they die. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, okay, well, uh, I think Vern Harnish said to me, if you're a bloke, you need at least six friends because otherwise the, the funeral directors will be carrying your coffin. <laughs> so like maybe the who, who are those six people? Um, and you've got family, write down them. And then what do you want to have achieved in terms of wealth or possessions or status or whatever else it might be? And then a year from now, what would be a material impact on 
getting there? And then what would you need to do in the next 90 days? And if you're going to do that, what are you going to stop doing? Because nobody's, everybody's busy. Yeah. And so actually the trick is that what are you going to stop doing? Mm. Um, and rather than what are you going to start? Because you've probably got to find space if you want to change your habits. That's powerful. What are you going to stop doing? Um, because you're filling up that time with something. Yep. Uh, I, uh, I, I went on this rabbit hole mission about a year ago to basically prove that everybody who said they were busy was full of crap. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm right. Uh, the, the etymology of the word busy uh, does not mean what you think it means. If you look it up, it's like a old English. There's a there's a word called bisig, and uh, and it basically means to involve oneself in the activities of others. It doesn't it, a, a busybody, you know, is somebody ah, yeah, who's, yeah, yeah. who's kind of like gossiping and and like, oh, what's you know, what's Sally doing? What's Jenny doing? And that sort of, that sort of thing. That's what busy means. And so whenever people use the word busy, it's just an enabler. It's an enabler. To, it's, it's a euphemism for I'm unfocused. Mm. I'm unfocused, you know, and if you, if you replace the word busy so much so that like I actually went and you can on your phone, you can do this thing called text replacement. So literally every time I type the word busy, it auto corrects to unfocused. <laughs> 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 and so I, I no longer use that word because I realize that it's it's a crap word. You're making it up. You know, it's just an excuse. And if you, know you start replacing the word busy with unfocused, you'll stop using it because then you realize I'm not actually busy. I'm just not prioritizing this. I I'm gonna I'm gonna try that because people say how you do it, and everybody said people say, oh, oh I'm busy. Oh, I'm really I'm busy. Very, oh, I'm busy. Good busy. <laughs> right. What does that even mean? And, <laughs> so I'm going to start trying. I'm going to say unfocused. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm very unfocused. <laughs> I am not, uh, I would, I would love, I would love to have the time to call you back and have that conversation, but I'm just not prioritizing that right now. <laughs> that is not very important to me at the moment. Just be honest, you know? <laughs> so, oh, I like uh, that. so, so, so Dom, let's, uh, let's take a look at the do zone diagnostic. Are you ready? Sure. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, five quick questions here. What's one thing you do that keeps you focused on your goals? I think it is spending time with my children. That gives me a reset. Um, when I did the one page strategic personal plan thing, I realized that my investment, was, I was going to take the kids to school a day a week. And at the minute I'm taking them to school probably four or five days a week. Nice. Love it. And, and, and how do you get back on track when you lose that focus? Um, I take some time off. So I deliberately book time out of my work schedule. So uh, I'll actually put in 16 weeks of downtime every 12 months at the beginning of the previous year so that I can do something with it. It might not be holiday. It might be learning, but there's 16 weeks that I can jig around that I'm not going flat out. Okay, nice. And, and who is your support group and how do they keep you accountable? Uh, I've got uh, in the team, there's five full-time people, including my wife. 
and so they respect me for the things I'm good at, but take the piss out of me for the things that I do most of the time. When I when I'm doing something that's not my genius, they just mock me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> roll, they roll they roll their eyes at me. There you um, go. So so that I'm constantly uh, brought down to earth by uh, by my team every day. They they kill you with that British kindness. Totally, totally. <laughs> and how do you approach a difficult project that you're not sure how to complete? Uh I back myself into a corner. So uh, deadlines deadlines exist for a reason, and so I might force myself to not. I'll, what I'll do is there's a thing I read about procrastination. And so instead of trying to do something badly for a whole day, I will deliberately do nothing at all until eight o'clock at night. And I have to have it finished by midnight because I do have to go to bed. And so back myself into a corner, give myself a limited amount of time, and then it'll get done. Because typically it's a thing where it's not that it's hard. It's just it's not it's not something I really want to do, but I probably can do it. Um if it's something I wanted to do, I wouldn't have procrastinated. <laughs> right. <laughs> nice. And but I but the deliberate the deliberate procrastination means that I enjoy the whole day and then I back myself into a corner. So whereas doing it badly all day and still ending up with it not finished at five o'clock is is something that uh and not feeling bad about that, knowing that actually getting to 85% in a really short space of time is one of my gifts. And just, I may even getting to 85% is another gift. Whereas lots of people feel compelled to polish it to a hundred percent and would take three weeks over it. Good yeah. enough's good enough. Most of the time. <laughs> nice. And uh, what's the number one pro tip that you would give to someone looking to get more stuff done in less time? Do less shit. I mean, I, there's, I, if you've got a how, if you've got, if you've got a problem, there will be stuff that is that you should not do. So, uh, one of our clients has got a virtual assistant business, and I, I was talking to the CEO, and I said, "Do you have one of your own VAs?" And he said, "Yes." He said, "She's in my email," and so when I log into email at five o'clock, I've got like five or ten thing, five or ten emails to do. All the other stuff has been sorted, deleted, action, filed. And so often I meet, see even CEOs who don't have assistants. And so they're just doing like, you know, they're paid hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars an hour. And they're doing stuff that somebody else could do for them. Like, why would you do that yourself? So if you want to get more done, you focus on the things that are your genius and you pay other people to do all of the other stuff. Like I never want to iron a shirt again. I can, obviously I can iron a shirt. I iron shirts really nicely. In fact, the lady who does our ironing doesn't quite do them as nicely as I do them myself, <laughs> but she's going to do them all day, every day. And I'm never going to do them ever again. <laughs> well said. I love it. And so uh, let's talk about, you have a book. And you have a podcast. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what's what are the uh, what are the themes of those, and 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 who should be listening to those, who should be reading your book. So the uh, the podcast is part of 
fulfilling my purpose. So what clients that I deal with or work with global, fast growing purpose-driven tech firms, typically sort of 5 million is at the bottom end and our largest client turns over 2 billion pounds at the moment. And I'm working with the CEO and the leadership teams. And so at any one time, I'm only working with about 10 teams. And I think some of the stuff I know can help a broader audience. I think if you're any team leader, even if you're just a team leader, lots of the stuff I talk about or have written about is could be impactful you know even how to run better meetings or you know how to hire people uh can be impactful in if you're in any management position and what i do on the podcast is i i get ceos who've successfully scaled and exited and i get management thinkers uh tom peters on recently um and i had uh the guy who invented net promoter score fred reichelt on and as I was doing my business degree and then my MBA, and then as I was running a number of companies, I've read a lot of business books. And so I've had, I keep, I keep reading business books. I, I read something, I think the author's great, get them on. So some people don't like reading as much as I do. So you can then listen to the key themes of the author's work. It's a short way to consume the top tips. The the book, I've, I've actually got two. Uh, the first book I wrote, which is called F Plan B, is really from scaling Rackspace and Pier 1. What did I learn? And then I've just written another book uh, called Mind Your Effing Business, <laughs> uh, which is sort of 10 myths that people get in the, that get in the way of people going from good to great. For example, give me, yeah, for give example, me I think lots of people think you have to pay salespeople commission and that they think salespeople are when they, when they think sales, I think they think secondhand car salesmen. They okay. don't think consultative strategic. I think if you want to hire transactional salespeople, you can definitely pay them piece rate. But if you want to do, if you wanted me to persuade Josh, to do something today that Josh wasn't planning to do when he was brushing his teeth this morning, that, that will require some sales skills and those people don't do it for the money. Mm. They do it because they want to help you. They think they've got, they've got a problem that they want to, that, that the world needs solving. And so, so often people who've never been in sales or never done that level of selling, think that all salespeople are greedy bastards and the only way to get one and to keep one is to pay them money and ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. I just don't think it's true. You wouldn't do that with coders. You wouldn't say, oh, I know how to get a better coder. We'll pay him per line of code. Or we've got this customer service rep and I think what we'll do is we'll pay them per ticket. Oh no, actually people have done that in the past. Turns out customer service reps hang up on people so that they get to, so they do more calls. Yeah. And salespeople sell more of the wrong stuff to the wrong customers if you pay them commission. So there's just uh, that's just sort of one example, hmm. and there's another there's another nine chapters in the book about what else. And we were talking earlier about candor and purpose. I go into some of those things as well. I love that. And so, uh, where can where can somebody go to learn more about you? And and who would be a great candidate to to connect with you and potentially do business? I I think if you're the uh, CEO of a fast growing business we deal with 
business owners, owner operators. We deal with startups who are VC backed, PE backed companies um, all over the world. They would be great potential clients, but other people who would be interested in solving business challenges that they got, if they go to monkhouseandcompany.com, we've got a weekly insights that goes out. Um, we've got the podcast, The Melting Pot with Dominic Monkhouse goes out every Tuesday newsletter goes out on a Friday and so just sign up um, and if I can help you in any way get in touch excellent I uh, love that so thanks very much and so for those of you who are looking to uh, engage with Dominic you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com there you can access the podcast if you are a CEO of a fast-growing company it may be worth uh, connecting directly to see if there's something that you can do together. Also, I want to recommend that you pick up Mind Your Effing Business, which is a book about uh, what What would you say is the 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 primary goal of that book, Dominic? I Look, I made loads of mistakes along the way, and I'm trying to share some of those mistakes so that you just don't put your foot in it because that stops you running really fast. Got it. Love run it. faster with more confidence. That's right. Don't put your foot in it. You can run faster. <laughs> well, we're going to wrap up from here. Thanks again to our guest, Dominic Monkhouse, for sharing uh, his journey and some wisdom about how he gets some things done. You can connect with him one more time directly by going to monkhouseandcompany.com and you can get his uh, book, Mind Your Effing Business, on Amazon. Once again, uh, if you want to keep hearing great content like this, be sure to follow and subscribe to the Do Zone podcast on Apple or Spotify. And remember, if you run a business that is stalling out and you're looking for a boost for less than it costs to take your staff out to lunch, we got your back. Visit unbreakableteams.com to learn more. Until next time, remember, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. What are you going to do with your... Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe on Apple or Spotify. Share this episode with a friend, screenshot it and add it to your Instagram stories, smoke signals, carrier pigeons, whatever works best for you. If you're looking to crush your goals this year and level up your team, we're here to help. To learn more about how our scientifically backed process can increase your company's productivity by up to 300%, head over to unbreakableteams.com. That's unbreakableteams.com. <laughs>